Thanks for downloading show 92 of the C-Suite podcast, the first in a special series of episodes that we're recording in partnership with the European PR agency Taito and their own Without Borders podcast, where we'll be interviewing European unicorn CEOs to find out about the key issues, pain points and challenges that European startups face and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith and joining me online as co-host for these episodes is Taito's founder, Brendan Craigie, who of course is a pre- previous guest on this show. So uh, good to have you alongside me presenting this time, Brendan. Great to be back, Russ, and um, really looking forward to this series we're putting together. Indeed. Now, I should add that Brendan's uh, been in the business of advising global technology brands for 20 years and helped build uh, one of the top 10 global tech PR agencies before founding Taito around an innovative new business model called PR Without Borders. And we'll chat more about that a bit later, because before that, I'm delighted to say that also online is our first guest in this series, Poppy Gustafsson, OBE, CEO of Darktrace. Uh, Founded in 2013, Darktrace is recognized as the world's leading cybersecurity AI company and under Poppy's leadership the company has reached a 1.65 billion dollar valuation in under five years. Uh, Welcome to the show Poppy, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat to us. Um, Can we start by getting a quick overview of how Darktrace has gone from launching in 2013 as I mentioned to that incredible valuation in such a short time? Yes you're absolutely right, so six and a half years ago I paid the £15 to incorporate the legal entity that is Dartrace Limited. So there were zero employees. And today we've got, I think it's 1,200 employees today, offices in 43 locations around the world. And as you say, our last valuation 18 months ago was at 1.65 billion. So it has been a phenomenal success and one that I'm hugely proud of, but really it speaks volumes for the power of the technology that sits at the heart of what we do. And in the office that I'm sat in right now, just across through the other side of the glass, I've got a team of incredible AI experts. I think I've got something like 40 PhD mathematicians sat on the other side of the wall from me. And what they have built is truly world-class. And I think the success of Darktrace is a reflection of their capability. Um, in terms of your own role, I think it's fair to say it's quite an unusual one because uh, Darktrace has two CEOs. Yes, so <laughs> you are correct. So it's myself and Nicole, and we run the business in partnership. So she's based out of America. I'm here in Cambridge in the UK. And to be honest, it's always been the way that we've run the business. It's always been a partnership between the two of us. I am a mathematician way back when, and then a chartered accountant. So I'm very much the data and sort of numerical person. And Nicole has got a very extensive marketing experience. So she's very experienced in the market positioning and understanding the customer's needs and how we translate that into the product roadmap. So really we've got those very complementary skill sets. And I I wouldn't, there's no way I'd be able to step into her shoes and likewise she couldn't necessarily mine. And that becomes a very complementary partnership and and the way that we've always run this business really. Did did you ever see yourself working in this sector then? To be honest, if I cast my mind back, I always knew I'd be doing something that's analytical and data-led. And I love the sort of mathematical ties. That's sort of where my heart sits. But cybersecurity, not necessarily. This has been a bit of a sort of whirlwind tour and a sort of, really, the opportunity was presented to me those six and a half years ago. And it was a bunch of people that I knew I wanted to work with. And, you know, the rest is history. Brilliant. And now before we get to the set of questions that we're going to be asking all our guest uh, CEOs, 
some congratulations are in order. Uh, you've recently picked up the Businesswoman Award 2019 by Verve Clico, and uh, just last month, Businesswoman of the Year from the UK Tech Awards 2019. Plus, uh, Darktrace picked up the Artificial Intelligence Award at, at last month's Lloyd's Bank uh, Business Award. So, um, pretty busy few months. Yeah, thank you very much. You know, you know, they all are huge validation for everything that we do and the power of the sort of technology and, and the brilliant brains that have come together to build Darktrace. Brilliant. Okay, now, um, as I said, uh, in this series of special episodes, we have a set of 10 questions that we're going to be asking each of our guests. So kicking off with the first one, how has becoming a unicorn changed the perception of your company? This is an interesting question. And I think people from the outside often look at your business and think you have been working towards becoming a unicorn. But that's absolutely not the case. From the very founding days of Dartrace, we wanted to set out a cybersecurity business that was challenging the status quo and doing something different. And that is something that we have done throughout our history. Becoming a unicorn, it was incredible validation. And it meant that we knew that we were approaching this in the right way and one that people understood and resonated, but it wasn't what we set out to do. We want to be deployed all across the world in as many different verticals, helping as many different businesses that we possibly can, both in the public and the private sector. And that still remains our goal. And reaching that sort of unicorn along the way is brilliant validation, but it's not our raison d'etre. Have you um, have you found probably that people, you know, give you more, you know, like, has it helped you in terms of, you mentioned that validation, but do you sort of, has it sort of opened doors for you? It does, yes. It does open doors. It demonstrates that you are a significant player and you are able to have the sort of global reach and influence that you that you want to and that it's not just about marketing and positioning. You are actually going out there and delivering on your promises. So yes, it does, does give me some significant validation and access as a consequence of that. Well, on the um, overview on, on your website, and, and you touched on this actually uh, just earlier. It describes the fact that the company was founded by mathematicians from the University of Cambridge and government cyber intelligent experts in the US and the UK. Um, the next question we had, therefore, is as a tech startup whose origins are in Europe rather than Silicon Valley, what's been your approach to raising awareness and differentiating yourself in such a noisy and crowded area? I think we are still today very differentiated in that we have fundamentally a different approach. So cybersecurity has typically been all about identifying the bad guy, trying to second guess the attack of the future, and then trying to identify that within the businesses that they're protecting. At Dartrace, we're doing something fundamentally different. So our co-founders that you mentioned there, they were responsible for protecting many of the UK's assets, whether it's your critical national infrastructure, your energy supply, and they were getting tired of sort of walking up and down the country and banging on the doors of these national assets and saying, will you please sort out your cybersecurity? You have got nation state A, B and C all over you. And they wanted to set up a business that started with the assumption that at some point that breach is inevitable. And yes, we should all be undertaking endeavors to try and keep those bad guys off the network. But at some point, someone is going to get in and how do you identify them as and when that occurs? And that is still quite a rare position to be within the market. So what we do is sit within an organization and learn its unique digital thumbprint, if you like. And only by knowing what makes that business unique 
can you then spot the behavioral changes that will emerge as a consequence of the cyber breach? So that was the power of our AI all those six and a half years ago. And from there, when we made our very, very first sale, which was back in our first year, so it was in 2013, and that was the point we decided to take that over into the US. So off the back of our first UK sale, we then hired a head of sales in the US, and then we just grew the business thereafter. Who, who was that to? Are you allowed to say? Our first customer was Drax Power, the largest UK energy supplier. Um, okay, so talking of moving over to, to the US, um, American startups, obviously, they're working in one huge monolingual market. European startups need to address stakeholders in different countries, each with their own language and culture. So how have you approached that challenge? I think that's something that UK businesses have to their advantage because they do have to learn how to trade internationally right from the start, whereas uh, businesses born in the US are used to that far more homogenous market, as you, as you said. Having Nicole there, she's an American, she lives in America, that was fundamental to our success in the US. She had knowledge and experience in marketing in US industries, was, was world class, and we wouldn't have been able to achieve that without her. And have you found that um, as you've been going along, Poppy, um, I mean, first of all, just to say, I think that that really positive outlook that you and the business has really shines through in everything you do in terms of, as you've said, kind of the typical security approach is to really emphasize the fear side of things. But I think just everything kind of you read about you and see uh, in terms of you know interviews and things you've done that seems to really come through so just to, to share that but um in terms of as you've have you've sort of grown in the US and, and in the UK have you found that you've had to have you made any like wrong moves have you had to sort of like learn and adapt to those different cultures or is it it's all kind of gone like clockwork no there are there are changes that you need to make. So very, very early on, you, you're excited, you've made your first sale, you're growing your team in the US, and you think, I'm gonna go out there and win the large multinational banks on day one because I'm excited and we've got this, so much momentum behind us. And we made a decision in those early years to actually try and stay away from those types of organizations because they, become this huge long protracted sales cycle they become a massive distraction and instead we decided to shift the focus towards getting our getting our business model right being able to prove it in as many different segments as we possibly could rather than investing all of those in, in one basket and that has proved to be sort of really successful for us and it meant that after a couple of years we could then shift our focus to winning the sort of large multinationals, which we do and now a significant part of what we do today. But I think that was a consequence of perhaps some of the mistakes we made very, very early on, which was getting very excited about those large tech organizations when perhaps we weren't ready. But thanks as well for your feedback there on that positive approach. And that's something that I sort of personally feel quite strongly about because cybersecurity, like we're just tired of it being that thing that's just nagging you and telling you off for using your Facebook password on your corporate emails. And I work for a tech company and I love all the excitement and the innovation that it can bring us, whether it's you know, moving part of your network over to the cloud or whether it's just having your you know, internet connected coffee machine that you can pre-order your coffees on. All of these are like really exciting innovations. And I want businesses to be free to bring all of the advantages that this tech can bring into your world, but whilst knowing that if the worst were to happen, you would still be protected. 
So for me, cybersecurity is that enabler that allows us to benefit from all of the innovation that's happening all around us. And so linking that to the next question, you say you have 1,200 employees. How do you build company culture in such a fast moving and uh, high growth environment? I mean, that's a, that's a quick growth, obviously, within the company. So how do you ensure that they are all on board with that culture? Yeah, and I think the culture here at Dark Trace is very much one of sort of that optimism and that ambition and that very high standard of excellence we all hold each other to. Yeah, but businesses are nothing more than the bringing together of a selection of individuals all with a common goal. So the culture really is defined by the people that you bring in. So it's all about that hiring. It's all about bringing on people that reflect the principles that you want to reflect to the outside world and then bringing them in and training them and keep investing in the employees. And if you get that right, the culture will will remain. Just on on that point, Poppy, I'm guessing like in the early days, that, that sort of enthusiasm, that culture kind of really naturally flows down from you and your your business partner. And, you know, in a small group, it just kind of just tra- transmits itself naturally. But as you've grown bigger, have you ha- kind of like had to you know, commit that to paper and like really sort of commit what you stand for as a business and sort of do that in a more f- formalized that a bit? It's not prescribed. There's no set of rules, but I think there's some of the principles that we run the business by mean it naturally occurs. So one of the things, for example, is that we really consider ourselves to be a meritocracy and, you know, we're a business that's only six years old. So time served isn't something that's really relevant to us given our entire lifespan is is only six years and so we will always make sure that we are promoting the people that are the best at the job it's not a you have been here for x years therefore you qualify for promotion it's you've really stood out at doing this thing amazingly we think you're the right person to be the next leader of this business and that really resonates we've got a great example a young woman called Eleanor, who is, a, is incredibly successful within the commercial team here in London. And then she wanted to move back to South Africa and said, would I be able to go away and set up my own part of Dutch race over in South Africa? I said, yeah, of course. At that point, it wasn't necessarily a particular target market for us, but the opportunity was there. She wanted to do it. And she went out and set up a phenomenally successful business there. And that was her own. That was her own part of the business that she set up and brought her own ambition and enthusiasm and energy to and now those guys are a huge success and they're doing phenomenally well and so being able to replicate that and spot the talented individuals and pull them up and allow them to make a part of the business their own while supported by the sort of more global dark trace infrastructure has been really key to sort of driving that ambition and showing that ambition and enthusiasm and energy will bring you results and it's not just a consequence of time served. Well, that, that leads quite ni- nicely on to the next question, because we, we wanted to move on to internal comms and how you navigate the need to communicate with individuals and parts of the company versus addressing the entire team. So you've kind of touched on that with, with particular you know, individuals' um, requirements there. But what about in terms of general internal comms? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting challenge, because as you say, very early on, you literally know who everyone is by name, and then very quickly that gets away from you and making sure that people still feel part of that common business and get the chance to hear your vision and your voice and what it is that you care about is really important. So we have employee webinars regularly, so we will have the opportunity to pull all the employees together and um, make sure we, we talk about you know, just a reflection on the past month and what we're doing and what other employees within the organization are up to and what their goals and objectives are and the successes that we've seen 
And that's quite an important part of what we do. But then also just events, whether it's Christmas parties, we're at that time of year, obviously, um, we have summer drinks and things like that. Any opportunity to bring the employees together is, is really important and a sort of necessary one to make sure that people in the sales team are meeting people in the development team and they're having a conversation with people that they may be seeing on email but not necessarily face to face. Have there been any things, Poppy, that worked for you in the past but don't work for you anymore? You know, things that you've maybe tried and then maybe they had a life and... I think that I probably changed the way that I communicate as an individual. And I think in the early days when there's a handful of you sat in a room, up to about sort of 100 employees, it's quite easy to get together in a room full of people and say, look, guys, I think we're going to try and do this not quite sure how it's going to play out. If it goes wrong, it's going to look a little bit like this, but let's go for it. If we start seeing the early signs that something's not working, then we will course correct. You can't have that conversation when it's 1,200 employees. Your communication has to be far more absolute and black and white because by the time it's filtered down through the business, you cannot allow any interpretation of anything that's, that's not quite or not well-defined enough. So I'd say that my own personal communication style has changed to be far more absolute than perhaps it was in, in the earlier days. That's not to say I don't still consult, I absolutely do, but it tends to be in a smaller group than perhaps in the earlier years. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favorite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. Our next question was, how do you view your role as an external spokesperson and representative of the business and what you have learnt along the way? We've always been an advocate for challenging the status quo, like approaching cybersecurity in a way that hasn't been approached before. The fact that we talk very positively about cybersecurity is it's it's a real enabler for a business rather than something that's necessarily holding it back. And so we're quite used, I think, to having a slightly contrary view, and that's feel that as part of my role to sort of represent that and talk about our approach to the business but there's been many other things along the way that we've seen so for example one of the things that we have now celebrated for and are very good at is things like gender diversity we are an organization that has 40 percent women which is very unheard of for the tech sector now that wasn't something that we necessarily set out to achieve I think that's just been a consequence of our natural approach, which is always to try and just do things differently and not sort of inherit the preconceptions of the way that things have been done in the past. So I think that is one of my roles to making sure that we do continue to, to challenge the way that things have been done before. And obviously some of them are done for very good reasons and, and those ones we will pick up, but I don't want to be a business that inherits all of those preconceptions about the way that stuff has been done. Just, just one, I don't know whether we can just quickly touch on something, Russ. Like, maybe it will, but it's just, I just wanted to say, um, Poppy, uh, uh, you, you know, you must be incredibly proud to have that 40%, it's not 50-50, but 40% representation of women within your business. And that's, as you say, that's quite exceptional. Because I think that, I think it's like 17% of the tech industry is, you know, roles are, are taken by women. So that's like really incredible. And I, and I can only imagine that that must like have a really incredible impact on your culture and, and your communications. Absolutely. And it's something, like I said before, we never set out to achieve that, but we knew we needed to 
grow, grow very quickly and we just brought in the best talent and it happened that most of them were women. Um, I think that's probably no coincidence that having two female CEOs that I do think that makes a difference, but we never set up to achieve that. We didn't have any quotas or anything like that. We just hired the best people, but it has, we've naturally ended up becoming a real champion for gender diversity. And that's something that I feel quite proud of myself, but also all of our employees feel really, really proud of that, both female and male. And a lot of them are really proud to be part of an organization that champions talent, regardless of background. And it has become part of part of the culture here at Dark Trace. So yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great thing. You clearly come across, across really passionately about, you know, everything and, and, and genuinely I'm loving this conversation so what but but the question we we had here was have you always been a natural communicator or did you have to formulate a plan to get better at it Uh, be as honest as as, as you want i i talk too fast (laughs) no but that's good that's that's to see that see that's interesting because to me that that comes across that you're really passionate and excited about what you do but but i also appreciate that especially if you're working in different territories and stuff where english isn't necessarily someone's first language i've i've been accused of that i've been i've presented at conferences and i'm really talking through everything really quickly and there's someone at the back's waving saying will you slow down because i know it's an international conference with english but not everyone can keep up with you russ but yeah so i say i'd have to change like I've, like there are skills to sort of communicating externally that you get taught along the way i've had to slow down or i'm told to slow down but i as you can hear i do still speak very quickly but one of the keys i think is that often what we're communicating is something that's very very deeply technical and we might be communicating to a non-technical audience and so translating what we're doing in a way that can be understood and consumed has been a sort of key there to sort of clear communication and the way that we've achieved that is through analogies so we we're very strong at using biological analogies in what we do our core product is called enterprise immune system because it replicates the human immune system and i think that's been a sort of fundamental part of that of the way we describe our business and the way we do having those really strong analogies and metaphors. I think that's another thing that comes across very yeah clearly it's just that I think a lot of um, technology companies um, really struggle to humanize what they do you know and be able to kind of you know really engage with people on that human level you know regardless of how deep they are into the technology but I think that's something that comes across very clearly from you know everything that, that you do. And that's something that I've had to learn along the way, because when you're immersed in something for you know, every waking minute of the day, you start to feel that everyone knows this knowledge because it's such part of what you do. And learning how to describe that in a better way has been something that you know, has been a big learning experience for me. So I often liken it to, you know, I'm a mathematician by background and my daughter is now seven. And she's starting to learn the sort of some of the basics of mathematics. And because I'm a mathematician myself, I'm a really poor tutor of math. Because I think, how can you just not know it? Like, to me, it feels so inherent that I can't then articulate to her how she should be learning it. So I think having people who come from a different world and a different background and different expertise is really important mm. in then on where you communicate what you do as a business because you're able to do it from a position of not pre-assumed knowledge. And are you, are you, it sounds like you're very good at like 
encouraging feedback and stuff you know like because because i think I've, I've worked with lots of ceos who maybe aren't natural communicators but they're also can be quite defensive and as a consequence they kind of don't really encourage feedback and they don't encourage like other people's opinions and, and and in a way that kind of then inhibits their ability to develop as communicators but are you are you someone that like how do you get people as the ceo sometimes you know people can be a little bit intimidated about like you know giving the, the feedback to, to the ceo i mean how do you approach that i think you're right but that feedback comes from a lot of places so you're continually getting reflections on your communication whether it's at things like sort of conferences or speaking or could be from investors and I spend a lot of my time talking to investors and they're not backwards and coming forwards about reflections on that and yes all of that feedback should absolutely be listened to but that doesn't necessarily mean it's always right and often when I'm getting feedback from the external world it will be that's not the way it's been done before that's not you know you should be doing it like this absolutely we will always listen to that but that doesn't mean it's always right. And when you're walking a path that hasn't been done before, by definition, you are doing something new. And it's, yes, understanding how other businesses have achieved that is really important as a, as a benchmark and as a guideline. But it, you've also got to be aware that it's not necessarily the right answer. But when it comes to sort of feedback internally from uh, employees, we don't have like a formal structure in place where people, you know, no upward feedback thing. But I'm surrounded by people that I've worked with for six and a half years. And we have been in the trenches of this business or in the early days, pretending to be each other's PAs to make the business sound a bit bigger than it really was. And these are people that I know and I trust and having the trust that they will feed back to me and be honest is really important. And they've got absolutely no qualms in telling me when I'm getting it wrong, <laughs> which they do very quickly. So, so what's been the biggest communications challenge you've faced along the way? I mean, is, is, is it that bit about, you know, you having the knowledge and finding that, you know, difficult to, to tutor or? I think one of the things that's really important to me, it's not really a communications, well, I suppose it is, in, in that it's more of a sort of training challenge. How do we bring in all of the people that we need to and teach them the talents to communicate what it is that we do. And how do we articulate, how do we get them to articulate the problems that we are solving? And cybersecurity is something that there is a huge, huge skills deficit in cyber. There's just not enough people to go around, which is why if you think about the speed of which our technology landscape is changing, it's far faster than the number of human beings are coming into the industry. So it's just not enough people to keep up. So here I am trying to build a global organization and bring in as much talent as people as possible. And there's just not enough people to go around. So we've had to grow those skills in house. And when you're operating in a market with not enough cybersecurity talent, we have to build our own talent. We have to spot those people and bring them in and teach them the skills that they need to be able to do their job. Whilst that's not directly a communications problem for myself, you can see that that has been a big challenge that communication has been part of because how do we get these people trained and enabled and able to talk about our business in the way that we want? And I think part, I mean, just an observation on that is I think um, 
the, the, the more simple you can tell your own story and like humanize it as you've done, then it's much easier for people to pick that up and run with it, isn't it? You know, like, so by kind of like humanizing your story and making it so exciting and, and inspiring, then, you know, it's much easier for those people who maybe don't have the same amount of experience to actually pick up and run with that. Yeah, and also there's a sort of lot of, there's a humility in the approach as well. Like, if you think about the people that we're talking to, tend to be CISOs, so Chief Information Security Officers, and they're tired of having people come into their room telling them how important cybersecurity is. They know how important cybersecurity is. It's their bread and butter. You know, it is what they do day in and day out. So we try not to do that. We don't want to be the people there that are wagging the finger at them. And instead, we're coming in and saying, look, you know your business. You know your challenges. But we know our product and let us show it to you. And then let's think about the ways in which it can help you on your journey. So moving away from that sort of slightly tedious lecturing to, you know, let me just show you the thing that I'm so passionate about and the thing that I've been part of in, in creating. That's been really sort of important to change in the rhetoric of some of those conversations. So what's been the, uh, the best piece of advice you've ever got on communications? Uh, best piece of advice on communications? I think it's around the metaphors and having those really good, strong analogies that, that convey that convey what it is that you do and what it is that you're passionate about. I think that's been the best way to sort of articulate our story and our vision. Brilliant. Um, we've got one final question for you, Poppy. And that is, if you were to go back in time and speak to your old self, what guidance would you give yourself about communications and what steps would you encourage yourself to take in order for you and your business to excel in communications? I mean, one of the things that I come back to is you think about my own past experience and standing up and doing things like public speaking. And I'm bringing a lot of young and ambitious people on board today. And so for some of them, they will be going out and doing their first foray into public speaking. And I always say to them that it's, there are many people that are very, very talented, natural communicators, but public speaking is also something that you can learn just through experience and, and enjoying the engagement with the audience. And it is, a talent that can be learned over time. So if anything, it's a bit of a waste of a natural talent. Pushing yourself out there, making yourself go out and doing it really is, is the best way to learn on that side of things. When it comes to more sort of broader communication, I think honesty is always the best policy and never trying to bluff or bravado, but just speaking from the heart, saying what you know, and that means that you will build up a really sort of credible and honest relationship with your audience, whether it's employees or external. Poppy, thank you so much for that. Really enjoyed that. My pleasure. That's been really, really, really good. Um, I know you're busy, and so we're going to let you get on. <laughs> um, but for now, uh, Poppy Gustafsson, thank you so much for uh, joining the show. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So what do you think to that first chat of the series then, Brendan? I thought it was very inspiring. You know, you can just really get a sense uh, Poppy's sort of enthusiasm and energy. And I can just only imagine that that's very in infectious for anyone who comes into contact with the company and with her. Um, and then I think the other thing that really um, I was sort of struck by was just that this real focus on trying to humanize their message. So using lots of analogies and metaphors in order to kind of take their story to a wider audience and, and not get too bogged down in the technology, which is something that unfortunately a lot of technology companies struggle with. Yeah, 
I, I thought she was fantastic and, and really, really enjoyed the chat. Um, okay, listen, coming back to your own business, um, before we finish off, I, I, I mentioned at the uh, the top of the show your PR without borders model. Do you want to just explain what this means? So we're in the business of helping companies to solve business challenges through the power of communications. And in, and in terms of addressing that, one of the things that we identified when we were setting up the company was that we really wanted to have a diversity of perspective involved in our business and involved in like the advice we're providing to clients. So we established the agency around pretty in- interesting and innovative model whereby we have a team of people that work together across multiple European countries. So we're in UK, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, and the Netherlands, and we all work together as one team. So we don't, you know, we're not kind of like working in our own little silos. We're all working together as one team. So that's kind of uh, really cool. And then the second thing is, that the lines between PR and marketing have really blurred. And so when we talk about PR without borders, it's also, it's both that geographic sense of working across borders, but it's also about working across different communications disciplines. Um, and those, those things kind of ultimately what they mean is we bring a diversity of perspective and a diversity of approaches to every problem that we encounter. And so, you know, just finishing off on this first interview that we've done with, with Poppy today, then what, what are you hoping, like in, in terms of linking it to the rest of the series, what, what are you hoping to, to get from all, all of these interviews that we're going to be doing? I mean, I think the, the, the reason why we're doing this is that um, just based upon a, a couple of decades of working with technology companies, having encountered lots of different CEOs of technology companies, all grappling with the challenges around communications in a different way. I thought, you know, what better way to actually give something back to the industry that we work in than to try and identify 10 very high profile successful CEOs, try to capture some of those learnings and then make them available to anyone who's looking to build a a technology startup and, and kind of really, you know, build upon all of that great experience that's out there. Well, Brendan, thanks for being my co-host for this uh, first in the series and looking forward to the next one. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed listening to this first of our Unicorn interviews. If you want to find out more about Darktrace, just visit their website at darktrace.com. And of course, we'd love to hear any comments you have on today's chat, which you can do on our Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter feeds. And those are linked from the top of our website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of Spotify or iTunes and if you've liked what you've heard please do give us a positive rating and review Uh, we're also on all of your favorite podcast apps just search for the c-suite podcast and hit subscribe Uh, just a quick reminder that you can also subscribe to the without borders podcast from our partners at Taito and all the details for that are on their website Uh, just head to taitopr.com and click on the podcast link in the uh, top nav bar Uh, finally if you would like to get in touch with this show you can do that via our contact form at csuitepodcast.com or you can reach me via twitter using at ross goldsmith or find me on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye